although I wound up preaching that message two days before 9-11 in 2001, the message had really kind of started a couple of weeks before. My son Jonathan, my oldest son, was getting ready to go back to his sophomore year in college in Florida. And so being the last night before he would fly out the next morning and go back for the semester, I told him, we'll do anything you want to do tonight. If you want to go shopping, we'll go shopping. If you want to go out to eat, I'll take you to your favorite restaurant. This is just your night. Whatever you want to do, we'll do. And he kind of surprised me because he said, you know, Dad, when I was a little kid, we'd go out to the park and we would swing and we would just have these big conversations. And so he said, really, what I'd like to do tonight is just go out to the park and swing. Well, it must have looked pretty funny because over here in the Andover Park, I'm Jonathan 6'3". I was 6'1". And so... You know, I, we just started, all I remember about the night was there was a storm coming up. I was looking off in the northwestern sky and a storm was coming up and I was listening to Jonathan and he, he started telling me what he had been through in school and where he thought he was headed. He said, you know, dad, he said, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I sold computers and he was really successful doing that. Then he got into the repair and, and uh, you know, all the add-ons and stuff that we did back in those days. And so he got all kinds of certifications. He thought computers would be where he would focus when he went to, to college. But he went to a, a large but very legalistic, uh, old-school, traditional Christian college, and their computer department was antiquated. So after the first semester, he decided he would switch to be a music major. But after that, he decided, no, maybe even though he loved music, that maybe that what they were doing in music wasn't exactly where he wanted to go. And so now he was getting ready to go back for a sophomore year, and for the third time in three semesters, he was going to have a different major declared. He was going to try broadcasting. And he was worried about that. I still remember that night. He said, Dad, I started out in computers, and then I've gone to music and now broadcasting. I just, he said, feel like I'm spinning my wheels. He said, what advice do you have for me? Well, I, I give hundreds of people advice all the time, but this is my son. And I know he's asking me a very specific question. The only problem is, I don't know anything about computers. I don't know much more about music, and I didn't know anything about broadcasting. And I tried to think about what advice I could give my son. And as I swung on the swings, at that time I was 45, I will tell you the advice I gave him that night, now as a 58-year-old, was even far better than I dreamed. But what I began to do is to think back on my seasons of leadership through the years when I was facing situations that felt confusing and I face many of those. You know, if you watch me at New Spring, you can think what I do is I, I speak on stage. Guys, that's the cherry on the Sunday. That's what I get to do. Management is what I have to do. And on any given week, I make scores, if not hundreds, of decisions. And those decisions are not always easy. And so all these years of decisions, you know, I look back on that at that night, and I said to Jonathan, really, son, I don't know anything about those three areas of pursuit. I can just tell you one thing. In all the challenges of my life, I said, God has been faithful to me. Now, honestly, between you and me, that felt like kind of tepid advice. I felt like I kind of choked. I mean, my son had asked me a straight question, and all he said to him was, God is faithful. And I said, he'll be faithful to you. Well, as we swung in the swings that night, something kind of weird happened. All of a sudden, these verses about God's faithfulness just began to pour into my mind. And I know what it's like when I'm getting a sermon or a series. You know, don't get me wrong. It's not like God writes it in the sky. He doesn't whisper it in my ear or anything. I just know. And when I was in the swing that night, I thought, wow, I'm getting a sermon. And I'm not just getting a sermon. I'm getting a great sermon. And, and I thought to myself, well, you know, um, after all, I'm not going to be speaking at New Spring this week. And the following week, I start a conference in Texas. I've done a conference for that church 10 straight years. And I thought, God, you must be just giving me this 
fantastic, you know, keynote message for this conference. And again, I don't want you to think God spoke in my ear or anything. It was just a real sense of God saying, no, that's not what I have in mind. I want you to preach this to our church. Well, I thought, well, I'm not supposed to be there. I mean, I, I, and, and on top of that, God wouldn't let me think about any other sermon. Every, every place I would go, it's like all I could think about is God is faithful. God is faithful. More verses, more thoughts. Well, anyway, I, I put Jonathan on the plane the next day, and I think I came to my office, and I called this pastor in Texas, and I said, well, I'll see you next weekend. He said, next weekend? You're not supposed to be here, are you, next weekend? He said, oh, no. And then he did what senior pastors do. He blamed his staff. <laughs> I don't do that, do I, guys? But, but he said, you know, our associate pastors, he said, you know, they took the dates from last year and they transposed them under our calendar for this year. And he said, oh, it's our mistake. And he said, don't worry about it. He said, even though we haven't, we haven't scheduled, he said, come ahead and go ahead and speak and we'll try to get our publications up to speed. And I said, no, no, don't do that. Uh, there's a message that God wants me to preach to our church. And that week I came and I preached God is faithful for the first time. And you heard me, that in the, in the, I, I get chills when I, I don't listen to that very often. You heard me in that bumper video say to our church, I don't know why I'm here this week, but God has left me in town to tell you he's faithful. Two mornings later, the towers came down. And for years, New Springer said that God left me here to remind them that God is faithful. I preached that sermon at a prayer service, a citywide prayer service later that week, and wound up preaching it all over the country. And today, I want to bring it to you. I want to tell you that God is faithful. First of all, let's talk about the word faithful. Make sure we understand what it means. You know, faithful, is al faithful always has a positive connotation. I challenge you to think about a statement in which faithful is the main adjective and it not be positive. We, we, love, we love faithfulness, wherever we find it. I mean, when something's faithful, it can be counted on. Out in Yellowstone, in Wyoming, there's a geyser, that steam geyser that erupts every 63 minutes. What do we call it? Old faithful, because you can count on it. We love it in machinery. You know, we love it when machinery is faithful. If you have a car that always starts, you love it. It's amazing. You know, a car can have all kinds of, you know, whiz-bang stuff on it, but if it's not faithful, by the way, it's the same with a person. You know that? I remember I had this car not long ago, and, and it had so many features. It had this monster motor in it. I loved driving it. It was only the grace of God I didn't get a number of tickets with it. But I just, I love this car. It had an incredible sound system and video player and everything in it. And I only had one problem. There was a, a glitch in the braking system. And it was an electronic glitch. So that you could drive along fine, everything's fine, brakes work fine. All of a sudden, brakes go all the way to the floor. And Mary Alice would say, you've got to get rid of that car. And I said, no, I'm not going to get rid of that car. I love that car. And I started telling her about all the stuff it would do. It's got this, it's got that. She said, but it won't stop. <laughs> See, we love faithfulness. That's what we love about dogs. If you're a cat person, that's great. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> There's, there's, there's the old joke where, you know, the, the, the dog says, my master feeds me, takes care of me, plays with me. My master must be God. The cat said, my master feeds me, plays me, takes care of me. I must be God, you know. <laughs> but we'll set that aside. But it is what we love about dogs. You know, years ago, it, it, people would call their dogs Fido, which is Latin for faithful. And if you have a dog, you know what I'm talking about. You, you can have the worst day in the world, screw up seven different things, have everybody mad at you, and you come home, your dog still thinks you're the greatest person in the world. We love that. 
Mark Twain said this. He said, I know heaven is not on merit. If it was, your dog would get in and you wouldn't. <laughs> He's probably right. Well, as we start talking about faithful and we're starting to ramp this up, how about a faithful friend? If you got a faithful friend, you're a fortunate person because we talk about the difference between fair-weather friends and faithful friends. A, a faithful friend is always there for you. A faithful friend is there for you if you're unpopular. A faithful friend is there for you if you screw up. Somebody said the definition of a friend is somebody who, when you make a fool of yourself, doesn't believe you've done a permanent job. If you got a faithful friend, you're really blessed. But the highest human designation for faithfulness is a faithful husband or a faithful wife. Hey, if you have a faithful wife and she can be counted on and she's always there for you and temptation doesn't, doesn't touch her, you're a very blessed person and you're a rare person in this world today. If you've got a faithful husband, if you have a man who can be trusted when he's 500 miles away from home in a hotel room and nobody else is watching, you're a very fortunate person. Because the highest connotation for faithfulness in our world today is a faithful husband or a faithful wife. And it's great to talk about it, and maybe we should have a talk about faithfulness someday from our end, but I want to quickly go to a place that surprises me, because over and over in the Bible, I hear that God is faithful. Now, I don't know exactly how to say this. This is my fourth time to preach this message this weekend. I'm not sure I've got it right yet, but I'm going to try it one more time. Usually when we think about faithfulness, we think about it in an equal relationship, or honestly, sometimes we think about it in a little bit of a subservient relationship. I don't, I don't think I've ever said I wonder if Governor Brownback is faithful to me. Or I wonder if President Obama is faithful to me. We just don't normally think about it in, in that orientation of the relationship. See, you know, the question is, am I a faithful Kansan? Am I a faithful American? So it's surprising when the person who is elevated says to us, I'm faithful. And yet over and over and over, we're going to see that God is faithful to us. I didn't have this message in the talk 14 years ago, but in the last 14 years, it's gotten to be very special to me. In Psalm 33, verse 4, the Bible says, The work, word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in... Hey, let's stop for a moment. If I just said to you, you didn't know this verse. If I said to you, all of God's work is done in blank, what would you put in the blank? A power for me. I would say all of his work is done in power. All of his work is done in permanence. All of his work is done in majesty. All of his work is done in glory. And that would be right. But that's not the word that God chose. God said to you and me, all my work, everything I do is done in faithfulness. God is saying, everything I do, you can count on me. My wife's favorite verse is Lamentations 3.22, where Jeremiah writes these words, great is your faithfulness. And his mercies are new every morning. If today was a bad day, then go ahead and get up tomorrow because his mercy train will be rolling again tomorrow. God is faithful. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is faithful? The reason why I ask that question is that's what God is looking for. You know, God is looking for people who believe he's faithful. Here's the thing. Maybe this will help. The question of religion is do you believe in God? The question of the Bible, listen, are you ready for this? And this is all about God's faithfulness, is do you still believe in God? See, as goes to his existence, the question is, do you still believe in God? But if I, do you believe in God? But if I tell you that God is faithful, the question you have to ask is, do I still believe in God? 
Because that's what God's looking for. See, God is looking for people who have tasted human experience, tasted the difficulties of life, maybe even tasted the bitterness of the valley of the shadow of death, who will look up to God and say, I still believe in you. And I, don't, I don't have time to develop this, but it just hopped in my head. That's, how, that's what it's like to be ADD. The only problem is when you're on stage with cameras, this can be a challenge. But I was thinking about something the other day. I've seen and I've been part of scores of debates between atheists and people who believe in God. And honestly, guys, it's the same old thing every time. I mean, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen it, how many times I've participated in it. A non-theist will look at a God-believer and say, oh, you say your God is all good and all powerful, evil exists in the world. Therefore, either your God is not all good because he allows evil, or he's not all-powerful, he can't stop evil from happening. Evil exists, therefore there can't be a God. People like me who believe in God say there's just too much complexity in the natural order for it to be an accident. And we, we say that back and forth to each other over and over. At the end of the day, we're all going to get to a place where we can't prove. But the question is, what does the narrative say to you? If you look at the evidence out there, what does the narrative say? And see, here's the thing. The atheists, the non-theists would look at us and say, if you've experienced the difficulties of life, then your God is not faithful, which is exactly why God is looking for people who, when everything falls apart, as we sang a few moments ago, will say, I still believe. I still believe. Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus. We've been talking about it several times in this series. And you know the story how, if you were here earlier, Lazarus was Jesus' buddy, and he died, and Jesus let him die. I mean, you know, Jesus stayed away. He could have come and healed him, but he deliberately stayed away. Lazarus was dead four days. Mary and Martha were understandably upset with Jesus. Martha came out of the house and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't die, wouldn't have died, which is tantamount to saying, I blame you for his death. And it was to that that Jesus said this, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Those are statements about faithfulness. Jesus said everyone, so that way he's good to everybody, and never die means he will never fail. But notice how he, what he said after that. He said, do you believe this, Martha? See, believing in God is one thing. Still believing in God is something else. I mean, I don't, I don't want to make this sound harsher than it really is, but let's just be sure we understand what Jesus is asking Martha. He's saying, Martha, I know your brother's body lies out there in the grave. I know you're dressed in black. I know you held his hand when it went from warm to cold. I know you watched his complexion as it took on a chalky pallor. I know you went to the funeral service, and I know you left his body out there in the grave. Martha, I know all those things, but do you still believe in me? How about it, Daniel? Do you still believe in me? They told you that you couldn't pray, but you stood up for me. And instead of not going into the lion's den, here you go. They're putting you in there, and the lions are walking around. How about Daniel? Do you still believe in me? How about it, Job? Everything, you had everything and lost it in one day. All your possessions were lost. Ten kids killed in a freak tornado. And now you got a disease that covers your body, and you can't get well, and you can't understand it. And beyond that, your wife, who's always been in your corner, is basically telling you to go commit suicide. How about it, Job? Do you still believe How about it, Joseph? I gave you dreams when you were a little kid, and you believed those dreams. I had great things planned for you, but your brothers hated you, and they sold you as a slave. And on top of that, when you were in the house of a slave, the woman claimed you tried to rape her. You wound up in jail. And not only did you wind up in jail, when you had a chance to be remembered by the king's servant, he forgot about you. So here you are in jail. How about it, Joseph? Do you still believe? How about it, Mary? 
The angel said, you were going to carry the Christ child in your body. You're going to give birth to the king of kings. Well, look at him now. Doesn't look much like a king, does he? He's dead, hanging on a Roman cross in a Jerusalem trash dump. How about it, Mary? Do you still believe? Hey, guys, when, when I tell you that God is faithful, this is a serious talk. Because this is an honest talk, and it takes us to the place where life doesn't seem to work out right. And it asks us, do we still believe? But God's answer back is not necessarily the answer to the question we're asking. God just comes back and says to to me, Mark, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. You can still believe when everything seems to be lost. Well, I'm going to quickly turn this message into a list, if it's okay. I want to take you to the verses that God sort of spoke into my life and that night in the swing set in the Andover Park 14 years ago. And I want to show you some places in the Bible where God says he's faithful. So if you'll just grant me a few moments, I want to show you some, God's, some of God's faithfulness to you and to me. Here is the first one, and this is amazing to me. God is faithful to forgive you. In, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is... Honestly, I'm not looking for the word faithful there. I'm looking for the word merciful. Because, see, mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. So I'm expecting the word merciful there. God is merciful. It is true. He is. Or I'm expecting the word loving. Because if somebody forgives you, they love you. Well, he is loving. What a strange choice of words. Because the Bible tells us if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful. Guys, this is so radical, it's hard to preach, but it's the truth. Here is what God is saying to you and me, that even before we sin, he's faithful to forgive us. That sounds so radical. You think, did I just hear a minister say that? Well, hey, if it isn't true, do we have any hope? I can't be perfect tomorrow. Can you? I can't be perfect the day after that. I want to be right, but I'm still going to screw things up. And yet the Bible tells us that even when we sin, God is faithful to forgive us. Now, very quickly, don't let anybody take that verse foolishly to mean, wow, I'm going to to sin tomorrow and then I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And he said he would. That's not at all what the Bible is saying. All of that is bound up in the word confess. When we confess our sin, we just tell somebody we did something. But that's not what the word means there. It's two Greek words jammed together. H-O-M-O, which means the same, lego or legais, which means to speak. So if I confess my sin, I say the same thing about my sin that God says. So clearly, I'm not planning to go out and do this tomorrow if I know what an offense it is against God. When I confess my sin, I just say, God, you're right. And I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. I'm a lot concerned about that in our culture today. Because what I discover is when people talk about what they do wrong, they tend to do it in terms of a mistake, or they tend to do it in terms of, it's not my fault. In other words, if I go to God and say, God, I probably didn't handle that thing the best in the world with Mary Alice, and kind of lost it a little bit there, but you know, she can kind of get under my skin sometimes, and knows how to punch my buttons, and, and so God, you, you, you sort of understand, yeah, I probably should have handled that better. Man, God ain't going to give that kind of confession that much time. He wants me to come to God and say, I sinned, I did wrong, I lied, I spoke in anger, I lusted. God wants us to say the truth, but he says if he does, he will forgive us. Number two, God not only is faithful to forgive us, but he is faithful to keep his promises. 
Someone has said there are between 3,000 and 7,000 promises in the Bible. I never have counted. I just know this. God makes many promises, and it's worth reading your Bible just to find out what God has promised you. But Scripture teaches us that God is faithful, and this is in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. He is a faithful God who keeps his promises. I could be talking to somebody going through a really tough time right now, and you feel like, Mark, I, I, don't, I feel like God has left me. He hasn't. He will keep his promises. My dad died two years ago next month. And, and, and I, he, he was up in years, and I knew it was coming. But to prepare myself for that day when my dad would die, I thought, wow, when, when that time comes, my dad immersed himself in Scripture. He was a long time pastor of the same church, 50 years, and then came and was our care pastor for 13 years. And all the life I've known him, you know, he has lived in the Word of God, shared Scriptures, taught me Scriptures. I've been preaching since I was 16, studying the Bible all my life. I thought, well, you know, when that time comes, I'm going to have all this huge reservoir of verses to find comfort in. Weirdest thing in the world happened to me the morning my dad died. I'm up at St. Francis. I'm in the room there. He's no longer breathing. Family's there saying, saying you know, kind of saying, even though we're not, no, we're not saying goodbye, doing what we would do at that moment. And I was in and out making funeral arrangements and Finally, I kind of came back and had some time, and there was just myself and Mary Alice. And the weirdest thing in the world, I could only think of one verse. You know, I thought I'd think of 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, all those wonderful verses. 1 Corinthians 15, all those great verses about the resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4, Jesus is coming back. I thought I'd think about all that. And like I say, strangest thing that's ever happened to me, it was like God locked me out of every single verse except for one. And it wasn't even the kind of verse I would have thought I would have leaned on when my dad died. It was a strange verse. But, I mean, hours went by. I could only think about one verse. I could only think about one verse. The next day, I went to plan the service over at Broadway Mortuary. My good buddy, Bill Cozine, said, Mark, you got to put a scripture on the memorial folder. What scripture do you want to put on it? I said, I'm sorry, Bill. All I can think about is Joshua 23, 14. You want to know what it says? It's just deep in your heart. You know, every one of his promises has come true. Not one of them has failed. For the life of me, that's all I could think about. Now, you know what? After a few hours, it kind of hit me what God was up to. Because, see, now that Dad was in heaven, I needed to get my shoulders turned around and look forward to the promises of God. But before I could do that, God wanted to turn me back around and look at the past and say, See there, Mark? I've never failed you one time. I never failed your dad one time. I never failed your family one time. I never promised you one thing that didn't come true. See there? I've kept all my promises. I will keep them all in the future. And when I realized that, God said, Okay, I'll let you think about some other verses. <laughs> Here's a third one. I want to go through this quickly, although my time is gone. It is gone. He'll see to it you're never overwhelmed. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond that you're able to bear, but will with the trial provide a way of escape. You know, if, you, if, you've, if you ever worked for somebody who was just out to use you, you know that person doesn't care if they overwork you, if they destroy you. But if you're trying to develop somebody, 
you don't put more on them than they're able to bear. You may put more on them than they think they're able to bear, but you're very careful not to overwhelm them. And that's exactly what God is saying. Wish we had 10 minutes to talk about that. I'll leave it there. Here's the fourth one, and this is huge. God is faithful to stay with us until we reach his destiny, or reach our destiny, his destiny for us. I started the talk talking about how that Jonathan got into you know, computers and then music and then broadcasting. Well, the story got worse before it got better. At the end of Jonathan's sophomore year at this huge Christian but very legalistic college, they invited me to come in and speak for a week at the chapel services, in the seminary, and also in their campus church. And I was sort of surprised at that anyway because, you know, I can be a little bit radical. I don't know if you guys have discovered this or not, but to, 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 I mean, here's the deal. Billy Graham would have been radical to that school. But in any event, they invited me to come in, and Jonathan was so pumped, and all his friends were pumped. Oh, you know, Jonathan's dad is coming to speak. The week before I was supposed to speak, they disinvited me. You know, a guy called and said, you know, you're a little more radical than we're looking for. And I said, hey, I understand that. I, if I were you, I would have invited me. And, but Jonathan had a hard time with it. And to make a long story short, he went into a different career field, finished his training, married the greatest gal in the world, Wendy, you know her. And now, and, and, and now by this time, they're in Oklahoma City. They're in a great church there, an awesome church. Um, but Jonathan, is, he's just doing a career. And I remember Thanksgiving, over 10 years ago, Jonathan came to me and he said, Dad, can we talk a little bit? He said, to be honest with you, and I've got to rush this. He said, to be honest with you, Dad, he said, um, I've gotten out of God's will. God called me into ministry, and I ran from that call. The only thing now, he said, I don't know how to get, finished. I get, get back. He said, I, don't, I, I can't finish my, my training in theology because I've gone this other direction. I have a wife and a, and a child now. And I said, well, son, you don't have to draw a paycheck to be in ministry. Just go tell your pastor that you'll do anything he asks you to do. And he did. Long story short, it was a church with a huge choir, a little bit more on the traditional side than us, but a huge choir and a huge full, full orchestra. Jonathan joined. Next thing you know, I, I noticed that when the, wor- the keyboardist is out, Jonathan's playing keys. And then in his early 20s, when the worship pastor is out, the next thing I know, Jonathan's directing the choir and orchestra. And the pastor comes to him and says, Jonathan, you know what? We need to have you on staff part-time to be our associate worship pastor. No connection. He didn't, pastor didn't even know what Jonathan wanted. Jonathan called me and said, Dad, this is awesome. They're, they're inviting me to come be associate worship pastor. It's a part-time job. I need to get a job at, you know, Brown or something, you know, moving packages to, 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 to supplement that. But before he could, somebody gave several million dollars to the church and earmarked a large part of it for a broadcast, a television broadcast. Pastor came to Jonathan and said, didn't you have broadcasting in college? Didn't you help produce the broadcast for that college? Jonathan said, yeah. He said, well, now we're going to need you full time. We're going to need you to do worship pastor half the time and be television director the other part. What's really interesting is when they were doing the bid for all the equipment, one of the things that almost wrecked the bid was they had to have someone with computer certifications to come in and link up all the equipment so they could talk to each other. Turns out Jonathan happened to have those computer certifications in high school before he went to college. Oh, let's see. Computer, music, broadcasting. That's God. Amen. See, he knows how to make it work. He, he, here's the weird part about this, and I'm, I'm, I'm way out of time. Can I, can I have three more minutes, please? <sighs> this is hard to say. God can take your worst mistakes. God can take your biggest screw-ups. 
the things that embarrass you. But if you will come to him and bring them to him and say, God, here's my mess, you'll be, you'll be surprised to see how that God will begin to take all of that and begin to weave it into a fabric, a tapestry of grace, I think is what I said 14 years ago. Okay, here's what I have to have the other two minutes for. I got to give you the biggest surprise at all. You know, I knew God was faithful to forgive us. I knew he was faithful not to overwhelm us. I knew he was faithful to keep his promises, and I knew he was faithful to see that we make it all the way. But when I came across this one, I read it twice to make sure it was in the Bible. I read it in Greek to make sure it was in the original language. I still go back and read this one every once in a while just to be sure God hadn't taken it out of the Bible. <laughs> Listen to this. If we're not faithful, if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he can't deny who he is. Ladies and gentlemen, even when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. My dad had a friend years ago, pastored in the same city, and a couple in his church started having problems. And it wasn't long before she started really behaving badly and started having an affair. She started going out with another guy, and at first she tried to lie about it, cover it up, but then she got to the place where she didn't try to cover up anymore. She made no secret of the fact she's going out to be with her boyfriend. And one night before she went out, she took her wedding rings off and put them in the jewelry box, got made up, dressed up, went out to be with her boyfriend. They got to drinking a little bit, got in an accident, got killed. The woman got killed. Time came for the funeral. My dad's friend was preaching the funeral, and you know how it is. They had a casket here at the front. The casket was open. It was at the end of the service. Everybody was coming around to view. All the attendees came by and viewed, and then after that, they let the family come by and view, and then the immediate family, and the last people to come by were the husband and his two little boys, and he picked up each one and let them say goodbye to their mom, and then after that, it was just the pastor and this husband standing at the casket. No, because he told my dad's story. So when everybody else had gone, this husband reached into his pocket and took the wedding rings and slipped them back onto his wife's hand. That is the kind of God you serve, that even when you're not faithful, he's still faithful to you. Thank you for letting me go into overtime. God bless. We'll see you next week.